Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, you are listening to Talking France, a podcast in which our team of journalists and experts at the local talk about France. In this latest episode, we will find out who in France could be in store for surprise tax cuts. We will also explain some of the driving laws in France you might not know about or perhaps understand. And are French drivers the worst in Europe? We know France is a beautiful place to visit, but why has it become such an attractive place to invest in and start a business? We'll explore what's changed about the country in recent years. And all eyes are on the French Riviera for the glamorous Cannes Film Festival. But we'll discuss another more murkier side to the Côte d'Azur. And if you're thinking of putting your home up for rent on Airbnb, you better know the rules in France. We'll shed light on what you need to know. I'm Ben McPartland, your host, and I'll be joined by our in-house French intellectuals and philosophers, that's Emma Pearson, the editor, and John Litchfield, our politics expert. Thanks to you all for listening. If you could take a minute to rate and even review our podcast on whatever platform it is you listen, then we'd be very, very grateful. Right, Emma, before we crack on, Thursday this week, May the 18th to be precise, is another public holiday in France, as it is around much of Europe, actually. We always ask ourselves this question, France, proudly secular country, still has quite a few religious public holidays, of which... Ascension Day is one of them. What's it all about? Yeah, good question. I must admit, I had actually never heard of Ascension before I moved to France. Uh, it's not a holiday in the UK. It's a Christian festival, as I believe. It is. I mean, it is to mark the day when Jesus ascended into heaven under Christian belief. Why do we have it off in France? Well, it's a good question. The whole question of why France in general has uh, religious holidays when it is, as it often states, a secular country. And the reason seems to be just practicality. Ascension is an old holiday. It was celebrated uh, under the Ancien Regime before the revolution. It was a, a day of celebration in the countryside. After the revolution, the revolutionaries did actually abolish it. They abolished all religious holidays and they tried to persuade people to celebrate secular holidays instead. This went down very badly, suggesting that people lose their precious days off. So in 1801, Napoleon signed a concordat which restored the the big four religious Christian holidays in France, which were Christmas, Ascension, Assumption and All Saints Day. We don't have Good Friday, of course. We do not, know unless we live in Alsace-Lorraine. Unless we live in Alsace. Pentecost, Monday, another one in May is coming up. Some people have that one. May is really a cracking month for public holidays this year. It really is, yes. Uh, and essentially it's always 40 days after Easter, but it's always on a Thursday, which means there's always a very good opportunity to fail upon, do the bridge and take the Friday as a little extra cheeky day off. Fail upon is do the bridge. So yeah, you take the middle day off between the holiday and the weekend. Do you know what fail a viaduc is? I do, yes. To do the viaduct. Uh, yeah, Go that's if your public holiday falls on a Wednesday. Good. You take two days off, either Monday and Tuesday or Thursday and Friday, to create a little two, uh, two-step two holiday for Brilliant, yourself. long holiday. It is a long uh, weekend in France this year. It promises to be busy on the roads, 
busy on the trains. I think all trains are pretty much sold out. The weather is looking fine. Accommodation is being a bit pricey, but um, if you're traveling around, do uh, you might uh, be hit by delays, but it really is a massive long holiday in France this weekend. Right, let's get on with some meteor topics, Emma. French President Emmanuel Macron appeared on TV on Monday night this week. He talked about a lot of things, training pilots for Ukraine, attracting more foreign investment to France, and of course, his highly controversial pension reform. But what made most of the headlines in France anyway was his surprise pledge that there will be two billion in tax cuts for the middle class by the end of his mandate in 2027. Emma, do we know anything about these tax cuts and who might get them? Am I getting one? (laughs) Well, this was quite a Macron flourish, as he does. He casually tossed in this two billion figure, um, but there wasn't really a lot of detail with it. What he actually said was, I have asked the government to work on this. I don't want to close any doors because there may be intelligent things to do on the part of social charges you pay or contributions you pay when you're an employee. So as you will notice, there's not a lot of actual detail there. And it was later clarified that the finance ministry is working on a plan for this and that will be presented to Macron in the coming weeks. So who knows? What we do know is that that big two billion number is a mixture of tax cuts that are already in place and some new ones. So of the ones that are already in place, uh, yes, you will benefit from these. We had the TV licence was scrapped last year. So that's €138 that you won't pay. We had a lowering of income tax for earners in the lowest tax bracket. That represents an average of 350 a year saving. And we also had the phasing out of the tax d'habitation, which is the household tax. That's been being gradually phased out since 2018. They started with the higher earners. But by the end of the 2023 tax year, it will be cancelled for everyone, with the exception of second homeowners. Okay. Now, it appeared this announcement took a few people by surprise in the French media. They've been kind of scrambling to find out where these new taxes or new tax cuts might come from. Do we have any idea? Yeah, this is where we really do get a bit vague. We know that the two things that Macron did talk about were social charges and employee contributions. So these are the deductions that come out of your pay packet every month. If you're paid in France, you get a deduction for AMPO, which is income tax. But then you also get this big deduction of social charges, what they're called uh, prélèvements sociaux. Uh, and they're things like deductions for healthcare, which is sort of roughly equivalent to national insurance in the UK, other pension contributions and cotisation, which are the compulsory contributions that you make to things like on employment insurance and your pension. And it seems like these deductions are what's going to be scaled back. So we know that it's aimed at people who are in work, not pensioners. And French media were briefed after this that it will begin with people earning between 1,500 and 2,500 a month after tax. Okay, now just the final question, why the middle class? Why is Macron courting the middle class right now? Um, Well, there's probably a bit of politics in here, I would imagine. You know, it's a sweetener to try and get people back on side after this bruising pension reform battle. But that uh, particular income group that I mentioned, the 1,500 to 2,500 a month, is by far the biggest group in France. France is not a particularly high-wage economy, and this group represents 48% of the French workforce. It is, of course, a good time now to bring in our politics expert, John Litchfield, who joins us on the line from Normandy. I asked John to shed some light on why Macron is wanting to put through some tax cuts and whether France can actually afford it. Well, how drastically and when? The two questions I would ask before I answer why. I mean, he said €2 billion, but didn't say when. He said it would be before the end of the mandate. So as I understand it, it's €2 billion over the next four years, not starting immediately. And he hasn't really specified how those cuts will be made. So I'm a bit dubious about what this will amount to. Why is he doing it? Well, people at the lower end of the income scale have got 
doing reasonably well despite inflation in the sense that SMIC has, has kept up pretty well with inflation. Wealthy people in France are wealthy, and perhaps one doesn't need to worry too much about them. The people who are really being squeezed by inflation at the moment, and also people who've been really angered by the by the pension uh, changes, are the middle income bands or the lower middle income bands. I think is what he suggested. He he, he said it would be the people who don't benefit from social benefits and, and who are not sort of extremely well off. So what that actually amounts to is unclear. So he's essentially this is part of the of the campaign he has underway to try and distract from and soften the blow of the pension reform, if it is a blow, and appeal to a great chunk of people who, you know, may or may not vote for his successor next time. So uh, it's kind of uh, the effect of the announcement is what he's hoping for, making people think that tax cuts are on the way. But it's actually quite difficult to cut taxes in France. You know, um, income tax is actually quite low in France for everyone. A lot of what goes in tax goes on social charges and payroll taxes, which are difficult to cut and have been cut back quite a bit already by Macron, and also on VAT. And if you cut VAT, that doesn't, isn't just aimed at um, middle classes. So how you target a tax cut on the middle classes is unclear and, and difficult. So until he gives details and until we have a timetable, I wouldn't take this that seriously, frankly. France has come into a little bit of trouble given its a huge deficit from, you know, under pressure from the EU and credit raters. Can France afford any kind of tax cuts? Well, this is apparently what the Prime Minister, Elizabeth Bourne, says. And there was a Le Monde editorial, uh, I think, yesterday saying that it's all very well, but, you know, should we be cutting taxes at a time when we're having our, our credit rating downgraded? France pays already, I think, 50 billion euros a year in debt repayments, which puts the 2 billion into some sort of context. So Macron said, I think, the other night that this was part of the um, plan that's already been announced by Le Maire to reduce the deficit so that it comes under the 3% that's supposed to be allowed within the eurozone by 2027 that this would not alter that that it's part of the of the planning for that Ways to be seen, as I say, because we don't know exactly what the tax, the tax cuts will amount to. Can the country afford it? Perhaps not. But, you know, it's two billion over four years in terms of, of a budget as large as France's and a deficit as large as France's, it's not actually a huge amount of money. Right, moving on to the roads. According to the latest Europe-wide survey of driving habits conducted by the toll road company Vinci, French drivers are the second worst in Europe after the Greeks and admit to regular inconsiderate driving, road rage, inappropriate use of the horn and using mobile phones while at the wheel. This might not surprise some listeners. While they're not quite the worst drivers in Europe, they are the most likely to insult other drivers while at the wheel. That also might not surprise some <laughs> listeners. The French have long had this reputation and within France, it's Paris drivers who are deemed to be the worst. An impression backed up by this survey which showed that Paris drivers are almost twice as likely to engage in antisocial driving than people in, let's say, the west of France. If you're looking for the calmest French drivers, they are all found in the west, actually, in Brittany, Pays de la Loire and Nouvelle-Aquitaine. Now, France isn't a lawless place when it comes to the roads. It has numerous rules and laws of the road, some of which might be confusing to foreigners, and we will explain shortly. However, I think this is a good time to bring in John Litchfield, who's lived in France for the last 25 years, to find out whether French drivers have improved over the years? Uh, it's a very interesting question, that, Ben, because uh, when I came to France, what was it, 96, 97, the laws on uh, drink driving, on speeding, were simply not enforced, basically. You never saw a radar speed trap. It was quite rare for anyone to be stopped for, for driving while uh, having drunk over the limit. 
the man who changed all that was someone who gets very little credit for what he did in office, right? rightly in many cases. But Jacques Chirac, when he was re-elected, somewhat sort of, you know, accidentally, because it was against Marine Le Pen, uh, sorry, against Jean-Marie Le Pen in, in 2002, he decided that road safety should be his great crusade in his second presidential term. And he didn't really change the laws very much, but he insisted that the laws should be enforced. So you started to get radio speed traps. You started to get people stopped for drink driving. And it's extraordinary how rapidly the number of deaths on the road fell. And I've fallen, I think, pretty well every year since except one. Now, you know, that's partly to do with greater safety in, in cars, maybe. But uh, simply, it's not a case that the laws have been particularly more enforced, although all these things with points and things are new. But the number of radar speed traps out there is extraordinary compared to what it used to be, which as you remember, is one of the was one of the causes of the Gilets Jaunes movement because they felt that was a sort of tax being imposed on rural France by the government for its own purposes. So yeah, there has been an enormous improvement in road road safety in France, but against the will of French drivers, I think really. I think French driving is pretty disastrously bad for the most part. I mean, I, you know, I drive around in rural France and don't have to get very far before I have a car about two centimetres from my back bumper, you yeah. know, because I tend to drive within the speed limit or at the speed limit. And uh, other people feel that they have a right not to do that, or at least to kind of harass you if you are if you are doing. General sort of, I, I mean, I don't think this is technically, the quality of driving is necessarily bad, but it's more this sort of feeling that you have a right to break the law when others don't want to. And, and secondly, just the lack of um, normal politesse, you know, yeah. how often if you let a French driver come out in front of you, do they actually signal with their lights to say thank you? Practically never, but it happens consistently in other countries. Interesting stuff there from John. Emma, I mentioned that we should maybe run through a couple of these rules that foreign drivers often find confusing. Shall we start with the number one that I think comes up a lot? This is priorité à droite. Can you have a go at explaining it? Uh, yes, I can. It's actually more simple than it uh, than it seemed. I think it just freaks people out a lot. But it basically says that the driver who is approaching from the right has the priority. So I looked it up. So we're in Article R four one five five of the French Highway Code. It covers priority droite. And what it says is: when two drivers approach an intersection by different roads, the driver coming from the left shall be required to yield to the other driver unless directed otherwise. By signage and stuff. Stop signs, obviously. Exactly. But I think actually the most important thing about Priorité Droite is where it isn't in force. And that's actually most of the roads in France. Basically, if there are any road markings like white lines in place, or if there are any road signals like traffic lights or a stop sign, then you just obey them instead. Priorité Droite is only observed on roads where there are no other markings or instructions. And that mostly means small rural roads. So like if you're in uh, villages, small, let small roads through, work through the countryside. There are two exceptions to that, though. Here in Paris, the famous Arc de Triomphe roundabout observes Priorité à droite, and so does the Périphérique, which is the the ring road around Paris. That's the only dual carriageway in France where Priorité à droite is observed. Or maybe I should say it's supposed to be observed. Yes. Driving on the Périphérique is a bit of a free-for-all, as you uh, might know. Yeah, you often see the sign that Priorité à droite should be observed at the entrance to villages rather than all the way through. It's a kind of black cross on a triangle sign, and that's the kind of sign you should look out for when you're entering places where it is enforced. Going on to a couple of others that foreign drivers might not know about. Did you know it's illegal to wear earphones while you're driving in France and a Bluetooth piece? Uh, yes, yes, it's illegal to um, listen to headphones if you're driving yeah. and also if you're cycling as well. Indeed, yeah, good good point. And speed camera detectors, this was quite a huge issue a few years ago. You know, if you have even an app in your car that, you know, gives you a kind of 
sound when you're approaching a speed camera in France, you can get in trouble for that. You can actually lose six points off your license and yes. pay up to a 1,500 euro fine. Uh, yes, and actually technically it's illegal to flash your lights to another driver to tell them there's police, uh, yes, police stop ahead. Uh, you see people do that all the time in the yeah. country. Really uh, helpful. But it is actually technically illegal. Yeah. It counts as something like interfering with a police officer. Interesting. Now, another one is these Crit Air stickers linked to kind of pollution crackdown, environmental moves. Emma, can you explain them? Um, yeah, basically this is just a small sticker that you need in your windscreen. Whether you need one or not depends where you're going, but pretty much all the crit- all the big cities now have a crit- air requirement and so do an increasing number of small towns but the key thing for tourists is that it applies to all cars including those with foreign plates so if you're coming to France you may well need one the sticker itself is just about emissions levels it assigns your vehicle a number from zero to five depending on how polluting it is and then different cities have different rules on which vehicles are allowed so for example here in Paris only Criter zero one and two vehicles are allowed into the city the the more polluting vehicles are not allowed in. You can't buy these over the counter. So if you're visiting in France, you need to apply online in advance and leave time to have the sticker posted out to your home. They're not very expensive. They cost 370 if you're in France or 451 if you're outside France. There's a version of the website is available in English. They're easy to do, but you just need to order them in advance. Indeed. Now, we often read about like false stories about rules of the road in France in the foreign press. One that comes up a lot, Emma, is these disposable breathalysers. Now, often people still ask questions whether you need these in your car in France. This was actually a funny story. The law was passed in 2013 under Francois Hollande's government, but it was never actually put into force. And in 2020, the law was finally repealed, although we know that some UK-based ferry companies continued to advertise them for quite a long time after the French government said it was scrapping them. Are they necessary or not? No, no, they're, they're absolutely not. As you said, the, yeah, the law was never put into place and it was sort of formally repealed in 2020. They're not necessary, but they might be quite useful because French drink drive limits are quite low. It's 50 milligrams of alcohol per 100 millilitres of blood, which works out as one small beer, a dimmy, or a glass of wine and no more than that. If you're breathalysed by the police and you're over this limit, you risk a fine, points on your licence or even losing your licence, depending how far over the limit you are. It's unfortunately still seen as socially acceptable in some parts of rural France to drink and drive, but the cops do perform regular traffic stops on drivers. Indeed they do. Thanks for all of that info, Emma. Now, Cannes is a famous resort on the French Riviera and, of course, home to the film festival, which takes place in May each year. Around a 1,000 police and security guards are in place for the festival amid fears of protests linked to President Emmanuel Macron's unpopular pension reforms, with the CGT union even threatening to cut power. We'll see what happens. Now, the film festival is all glitz and glamour and red carpets, but Emma, tell us something we might not know about Cannes. Well, like quite a lot of things, in fact, uh, Cannes is basically the fault of the British, um, <laughs> or at least it, its present incarnation of, of Cannes is. Um, there's been a settlement there ever since the Iron Age, but right up until the 19th century, it was really just this sleepy port and fishing village. And then in the 19th century, it was discovered by a British aristocrat named Lord Brougham, I think. I've probably said that wrong. Brougham? Brougham? Yeah, if there's one thing I know about the British aristocracy, it's that they never, ever pronounce their names as they're spelt just to catch out plebs yeah. like you and me. But anyway, um, Lord What's-His-Name <laughs> discovered this uh, this holiday spot and he really began to popularise it as a spot for wealthy Brits touring Europe in the same way that Nice also began its life as a tourist town with English visitors. 
These days, Cannes is very much a tourist town. It gets three million visitors a year and tourism is the number one industry in the area. Cannes and neighbouring Antibes, between them, they support 21,000 tourist jobs. But the, uh, the film festival, interestingly, Cannes was actually the second choice to host the film festival. The organisers originally wanted it to be in Biarritz on the Atlantic coast, another, another seaside resort. Mm. Uh, the town turned it down because they thought it would be too expensive to host, so Cannes was picked as the second choice. And the festival now brings in around 30 million euro a year to Cannes. No, I was looking into research about Cannes and I came across a kind of list of the biggest heists in French history and like half of them seem to have taken place in Cannes. One of them was the France's biggest ever jewellery heist where a man managed to steal 122 million worth of gems in about 60 seconds and escape through a window, just kind of classic film stuff. It's got this image of a ridiculously wealthy place, Cannes, you know, especially with the film festival and jewellery stores there. Is that true? Is it all wealth? Uh, there is certainly a lot of wealth there, yes. Um, it's a resort that is popular with the super rich. And when France began freezing the assets of the Russian oligarchs after the invasion of Ukraine, there were quite a few Cannes property and also yachts that were moored at Cannes that were kind of on the list of, of assets seized. So yes, there is a lot of wealth in the town. But for the people who actually live there, it's quite a different story. The average wage in the town is below the national average wage at €2,251 a month. Property, on the other hand, is significantly more expensive than the national average. If you're buying a apartment there, the average price is €5,900 per square metre or €7,300 per square metre for a house. That's not quite as expensive as Paris, but it's still way above the French average of €3,600 per square metre. So that means that a lot of people on average salaries are priced out of the area. And in fact, poverty rates in the town are also higher than the national average. In 2019, 18.4% of families in Cannes were living in poverty. Right, there you have it. Away from the glitz and the glamour, there really is another story to be told at Cannes and indeed the Côte d'Azur. Thank you, Emma. Billionaire businessman Elon Musk met Emmanuel Macron at the Elysee Palace this week before they both headed to Versailles along with ministers and a lot of business leaders. Musk was apparently clubbing in Mexico just a few hours before he met Macron and turned up unshaven and admitted to having to sleep in the car. Emma, what was going on here? What was this meeting all about? Uh, well, I'm not really sure what was going on with Elon Musk's social life, but the meeting was the Choose France summit. Choose France is a kind of Macronist creation and its aim is just to get more foreign companies investing in France, hence its name in English. And it seems to be pretty successful, according to the Elysee, Investment through Choose France will reach 13 billion euro this year, including big new factories to manufacture car batteries and solar panels, plus expansions in France of well-established companies like IKEA and Pfizer, the pharmaceutical giant. Overall, France has had the highest levels of new foreign direct investment in Europe for the last four years in a row, ahead of the UK and Germany, which are second and third place. Some of the uh, statistics that the, uh, the Elysee threw out were quite interesting. In 2022, there were 1,725 new foreign direct investments, which created or safeguarded 58,000 jobs. Of these, 546 were in manufacturing, 394 were in what they call decision-making projects, and 207 were in service, service industry projects. The countries that invest the most are the USA, Germany, UK, Netherlands and Italy. And overall, 65% of foreign investment in France is European. 20% is from the USA and 8% is from Asia. And one final statistic that really caught my eye in this report is that of the new projects, 43% of them are in towns with less than 20,000 people. And that rises to 74% when we're talking about manufacturing products, so factories, because the 
the French economy has for a long time been very heavily centred on Paris. So this is kind of trying to spread the wealth a bit more and create more jobs outside of Paris. Okay. now Musk himself seemed fairly happy with the meeting. He said, I'm very impressed with President Macron and the French government and how welcoming they are to industry. Macron replied on Twitter saying, we have so much to do together. Now, I remember when France wasn't that attractive to foreign business leaders. For example, in 2013, the CEO of American tire maker Goodyear Titan, Maurice Taylor, claimed famously at the time, the French workforce gets paid higher wages but only works for three hours. They get one hour for breaks and lunch, talk for three and work for three. I told this to the French union workers to their faces. They told me, well, that's the French way. Emma, feels like things have changed, have they? Um, yeah, I think so. This was definitely the sort of the big vision for France under Emmanuel Macron was to make it more business friendly. He began this when he was the economy minister under Francois Hollande. He started loosening up some of the French employment laws and trying to make them a country more attractive to businesses, especially foreign businesses. By his own account, part of the reason that he left the Hollande government was frustration that his party socialist colleagues didn't share his vision, which is why he set up his own party and obviously the rest is history. But since 2017, he's really taken a sort of two-prong approach to this. The first is loosening up some of those famously strict employment laws, which were always cited by foreign businesses as a reason not to invest in France. So some of the things he's done, he's made it easier to set up and register a business. Uh, the corporate tax rate was lowered to 25%. Uh, there's been a simplification of the rules around hiring new staff. There's been changes to the unemployment system, which has kind of made it easier for job seekers to take up work and also to start their own businesses. And there's been quite a lot of funding in skills training so that French workers can keep their skills up to date. But I think it's worth pointing out that French labour laws are still quite strict. There's a lot of protection for employees in France. It's still quite hard to fire someone in France. And employers pay quite a lot in terms of social contributions for their employees. So you often hear governments saying, oh, you know, the only way to attract investment is to slash workers' rights and everything. But that's not really the way that France has done it. The second prong for this is where Choose France comes in, this Versailles summit that we were talking about. And it's really just a very determined wooing of foreign businesses. There are these annual summits. There's a Choose France website in English that explains how to go about expanding your business. There's help for new businesses. There's a new visa called the Passport Talent, which is aimed at helping companies recruit sort of high-flying foreign staff. And of course, like every government, there's tax breaks for new foreign investors. Okay, so can we explain why foreign businesses would want to set up in France these days? Well, apart from getting to, to party at Versailles with Macron, what foreign businesses say they like is that uh, there is this reputation now that France is a, is a business-friendly country. France also has a big economy, seventh largest in the world, so there's a market here. There's already quite a lot of big companies here. So you've got the big global brands like Peugeot, the luxury goods conglomerate uh, of AHM. There's tech startups like Dr. Lieb. But actually, interestingly, the big attraction that a lot of foreigners talk about is the workforce, um, because French workers are highly skilled, but relatively cheap. The French education system, as we know, is good. And the state-funded higher education means that 45% of French people are educated to university level. And there's also what we just talked about, a lot of government skills development for people who are already in work to learn new skills. So that's kind of important for companies that are involved in new industries or tech or things like that, that workers can keep their skills up to date. But set against this is the fact that France, in Western terms, is not a particularly high wage economy. So that although employers will have to pay a lot in social contributions for their staff, healthcare, pensions, that kind of thing, the actual wages are not as high as they are in some of France's neighbours. And the other thing about France is that its international reputation for having this good quality of life means it's quite easy to recruit foreign workers. You know, people want to move to France. 
And certainly when I first moved to France, I worked for a company that recruited mostly from Ireland and the UK. And their basic hook was, look, we won't pay you very much, but you do get to live in the south of France. Mm. Um, and that seemed like quite a good deal to, yeah. to me and other people. We've just had three months of strikes and kind of on-off riots, protests. Surely that puts off foreign business leaders. <laughs> well, interestingly, that is one of the questions that Macron was asked during that Monday TV interview that we were talking about at the beginning of the podcast. The journalist asked him something like, um, do you have difficulty persuading foreigners to invest? And if they turn on a TV report about France, it will usually be strikes, riots or something on fire. It doesn't look like the the strikes are putting off investors because, you know, this isn't a new thing. You know, we had months and months of, of yellow vest protests back in 2018, more strikes in 2019. And as Macron pointed out on the TV, and as we've talked about on this podcast before, in fact, strikes in France do tend to be very heavily concentrated in the public sector. So trains, air traffic control, teachers... Strikes in the private sector businesses are actually relatively rare. I mean, I've never been on strike in all the years I've been in France. It's quite disappointing, really. And as we mentioned in last week's podcast, uh, French workers as a whole are among the most productive in the world. So clearly they're not always on strike. However, despite Macron's quite bullish denials, the French media are reporting that there's been a fall in long-term investment inquiries. So I guess we'll see when these same figures come out next year. Indeed, this is another good time to bring in politics expert John Litchfield. I asked John whether and how France's image has changed over the 25 years he's been here. And is it all down to the Macron effect? Yeah, it changed in one direction and then it's now luckily changed back in another. I, I think there was a period, what, in the early 2000s, late 1990s, when the 35-hour week and the high payroll taxes in this country made it very difficult to get foreign investment in. That has changed over the last five or six years. I mean, starting before Macron, but partly because of things Macron pushed through under the alarm presidency when he was an economics, the finance and economics minister. There has been quite a big reduction in, in payroll taxes for, for business. And I think that has shifted the attitude of uh, foreign investors and also perhaps domestic investors. France now claims to be the most attractive country in Europe for foreign investment, which is true in some respects, apparently, in terms of pure numbers of euros being invested. But the investment in France is not creating as many jobs as it does in Britain and Germany for reasons I'm not quite clear on. But uh, so it tends to be investment that's in the sort of industries, high tech, new industries, which don't create lots and lots of jobs, but still very welcome all the same. 13 billion euros record amount this year was announced at the Choose France conference in Versailles this week, all of which is very welcome and comes just at the moment when the government is launching this new green industry bill, which is supposed to make things even easier to install new factories and to give government grants for, for new investment and so on, as long as it's in sort of the sort of green-friendly, eco-friendly industries of the future, which is what Le Maire, the finance minister, and Macron are counting on. So yes, there has been a shift in the last four or five years, and a very welcome one. But is it all um, down to Macron, John. How much how much impact is the Macron effect on, on this, or was it heading that in that way anyway? Well, I think Sarkozy started things a little bit towards the end of his regime. He made changes in, in the way that investments could be uh, were taxed, and he also made changes in, in the payroll tax burden, not very effectively, and towards the end of his regime. So it's particularly difficult to know what effect that had on to the fury of people in his own party and on the left, also uh, reduced the burden of payroll taxes and somewhat simplified employment law so it was easier to hire and fire. Again, that was Macron's influence in the background when he was finance minister. All of that's been pushed much further under Macron. And again, one of the reasons it was one of the sort of marches and protests against this at the time. But the unemployment has fallen in France in the last um, in the last six years. It's now 6.9 or 
1%, depending on which figure you look, which is the lowest for two decades. And if you look at unemployment over at 25, between 25 and 50, it's around about 5%, which is what the uh, definition is in the full employment. So yes, I think Macron does deserve credit for those things. People say that that's happening across Europe, and therefore France was bound to benefit from the, 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 the way of, of, of less of reduced unemployment. But still, France has usually been bucking the trend in that respect. Now it's part of the trend. So all this, all of that, I think, is to, to Macron's credit, uh, credit he isn't often given, either in the media or obviously by the opposition. Uh, whether or not this new green industry bill could perform all that it, 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 he pretends it's going to is another question. But yes, I think that the, the shift in, in attitudes to of foreign investors towards France is partly Macron's doing. And this conference that he held the other day is his creation. He's gone out of his way to try and reach out to, to big um, companies around the world. Uh, I'm not saying France didn't before, but he's sort of tried to create the image of a business-friendly France, partly by what he says, but also partly by what he does. Now, one question we get asked a lot from readers, and especially with the Paris Olympics coming up in summer next year, is simple. Can I Airbnb my apartment? Emma, you got uh, an yeah. answer? Yes, I know quite a lot of people who are thinking of doing this, especially in Paris during the Olympics. I'm one of them. Can you fill me in, please? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I can see why you work, why you would, because, you know, some of the accommodation prices right, that yeah. are already being talked about for the city are insane. But there's a few things you need to know about first. Firstly... You need to either own the property or, if you're a tenant, to have written permission from the landlord to let it. Secondly, you need to check whether you have to register with the mairie. Rules here vary in, in different uh, different places, but a lot of areas, including Paris, now have a requirement that you register with the mairie if you want to Airbnb your apartment, even if it's only just for a couple of weeks out of the year. And you'll also need to check how many days per year you can legally rent it out. Paris, again, is particularly strict in this regard, but in most places there's a maximum of 120 days out of the year. So, I mean, that would be fine if you were just airbnb it while you yourself were away on holiday, but it sort of excludes people who are doing it as a business. And one more, if you're in Paris and you have a second home in Paris, you cannot legally Airbnb this. So there's a few restrictions. And the other thing you really need to think about is tax. Your Airbnb earnings count as income, obviously. So you will need to declare them when you do your annual tax declaration if you have earned more than €760 a year for rentals. So looking at those Paris prices, you might end up earning more for that if you rent it out for the entire period of the games. But if you do that, then you need to declare it. And you'll also need to register your Airbnb as a business for tax purposes because you will need a SIRET, the business number, in order to complete the tax declaration. If you're looking to rent out a second home and you don't live full-time in France, then having Airbnb income in France might also bring you into the French tax system. Most people who live in another country and just have property here don't need to complete the annual income tax declaration. But once you're renting out property, then you have income in France and that then kind of brings you into the the tax system if you're above that declarable limit. So there's a few things to think about. It's not as simple as it seems. Yeah, it's not just free money. I think totally put me off putting it on Airbnb now. My plan was to put it on Airbnb (laughs) and put in the small notes that my family and kids would still be there and hopefully someone would rent it out and look after them, but this sounds complicated. Well, actually, I mean, that is a different thing if you're wanting to rent out just a room of your place while you're still there. Mm. Um, That is allowed. It's if you're renting out the um, the whole place. But a lot of Parisians seem to be attracted by potential wealth they can gain during the Olympics next year by putting it on Airbnb, but they really need to do the research. Yeah, yeah, they do. And also, I mean, like, yeah, do you know what? It's only money, whereas the Paris Olympics is a -a once-in-a-lifetime experience. Stay and enjoy the games. It'll be amazing. There you have it. Don't forget about Airbnb, listeners. Thank you, Emma. And of course, listeners can find much more details about whether you can put your apartment on Airbnb in France on our website at thelocal.fr. And speaking of our website, we have a fantastic article on there at the moment. 
About 26 festivals and events you can go to this summer. I will include the link in the podcast article and in the show notes. Emma, have you picked out a festival that we can advise or suggest to listeners? Uh, yeah, I have. I mean, the summer is very much festival season in France. Pretty much every town has some kind of a festival or, or event. There's a lot going on. But my favourite, which is the one that happens all over the country, is the Fête de la Musique. Uh, it happens every year on June 21st. Uh, it's a Wednesday this year. And absolutely everywhere across France has some kind of music event. Obviously, the cities, it's bigger, but even small towns do it. Uh, last year, I had a great time. I ended up dancing in the street to Donna Summer with some drag queens. It was a really good night. Fair enough. Yeah, it really is a massive, massive party, the Fête de la Musique in France. Uh, I think the one I'll pick out from this article is Rock on Seine because I've actually just bought tickets. It's basically a classic rock festival on the west of Paris. Some of the acts, Billie Eilish, Florence and the Machine, Chemical Brothers, Christine and the Queens, the Yeah, 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 Strokes, the Falls. It's got a great lineup this year. It's from August 23rd to the August 27th and it's held in the Domaine National de Saint-Cloud. I think I pronounced that right. It really is a fantastic venue. Well worth checking out. Tickets, not many tickets left apparently, so get in there if you really want to go. Emma, great suggestions. And like I said, you can find more summer events on the article on our website. That brings us to the end of this week's episode of Talking France. Thank you to Emma and John for joining us. And just in case you were wondering, Jen, our journalist, was away on holiday this week. She'll be back soon. Thanks to all our listeners for joining. <laughs>